The reading for this morning is from Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, to chapter 34, verse 8. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nana. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We come to you now, God, and we ask, we pray, along with Moses, show us your glory. Help us to see you. Eyes of our hearts opened wide to be able to see you as you've given yourself to us in your word. So come, send your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. I want to begin this morning 
with a question. What do you want? What do you want? You know, you can live your life for years. You can even live your whole life moving from thing to thing, even running hard, responding to demands, without ever actually answering that question. The daily grind, the, the big decisions, the careful planning, the, the relationships even, the, the moments underneath it all, or at the end of it all, friends, what do you really want? Moses knew. Moses knew. And this story from Exodus tells us so. But before we get to Moses' answer, his answer to that question, and yours and mine, we need to step back and notice three things in this passage. Take a look. First, what Moses has. Then second, what Moses wants. And then thirdly, what Moses gets. Let's take a peek. First, what Moses has. Moses has God. He knew he belonged to God and that somehow by a miracle of God's grace, God belonged to him. He knew he was a friend of God. He even had a claim on God's heart. How do we know? Well, nowhere else in the book of Exodus do we hear Moses speak about his relationship with God in such personal, even intimate terms like we find here? In the middle of verse 12, for example, he says to God, You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. God's words to Moses, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Friends, uh, consider the amazing gospel truth that God knows you. There's enormous pressure to today to discover yourself, to know yourself, as it were. But there's a special reassurance and peace available to those who instead discover that God knows you even better than you know yourself. And he knows each of us by name. Paula and I, we were never really good at naming our kids, if there's such thing as being good at naming your kids. It was always for us a last-minute scramble, and it was nothing personal. The first time around, some of you may remember, we actually left the hospital without yet having picked a name for our now oldest child. We went home and started cramming for that name like it was a final exam. When a baby is born, you know, enormous energy is devoted towards naming the child. Why? Their name marks them out as a cherished individual. God knows us by name, which is to say he knows us not just factually, but personally. He, he loves you particularly, not generically. God cares for you with infinite specificity. He knows every detail of our lives. 
He knows your story, including the trauma that you've been through. He knows your personality, even those parts that no one else seems to understand. He knows your fears, your frustrations, dreams, vices, your unique gifts, your struggles, your wounds, your family, and those skeletons in the closet. Last night, I read a beautiful line from the acclaimed book, Everything Sad is Untrue. I was made carefully by a God who loved what he saw. God knows and loves all of you. Listen to these powerful words of comfort from Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Jesus himself expresses a similar idea in John 10 when he says, a shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That's good news. And here's the thing. We desperately long to be known, don't we? To be understood and to be seen, to to matter in someone else's eye. But let's be honest, we're also, at the same time, terrified of being known, fearful that our secret flaws and the inner ugliness of our hearts will actually be seen, will be known. We're afraid that someday we'll be found out as a a fake or as an imposter. And that's why it's also crucial For us to hear what God says to Moses, not only I know you by name, all the details about you, but also, and you have found favor with me. The God who truly knows us fully accepts us. Favor is a word of grace, a free gift. Favor is a word of the heart. If you're in Christ, God is pleased with you. He enjoys you. Do you see your heavenly Father's smile? Christian author and pastor Tim Keller was right when he wrote that to be truly known and accepted, I mean, sorry, to be truly known And not accepted is one of our greatest fears. And to be loved and accepted but not really known is sort of comforting, but we all know it's superficial and we're always left paranoid that the truth about ourselves will one day be found out. So to be fully known and truly loved is one of the deepest desires of the human heart. And the God of the Bible gives you both. He knows and accepts you completely. Thus saith the Lord, I know you by name and have found favor. And you have found favor with me. And how does Moses respond to being known in this way? I want to know you, God. 
Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. You see, in the Christian faith, a life with God doesn't begin with finding God. God finds you. A life of God, a life with God doesn't begin with loving God. God first loves you or with knowing God, but rather being known by God. And so our response to God's grace is to want to know the God who knows you and to know him more and more. And this brings us to our second point, what Moses wants. What Moses has, it's God. What Moses wants, Moses wants God. He wants more of God and more of God and more of God. A.W. Tozer, pastor and author from the last century, once wrote, to have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. In other words, if you love him and you found him, you want to keep on finding him and more of him and more of him and more. And here we're getting to the heart of the passage. As our story opens, God's people are still traumatized, reeling from the incident that we studied last week. What happened? The Israelites forged a golden calf and fell into idolatry. Never before. Had they seen their sin on public display like that? Never before. Had they seen God's judgment fall upon them like that? Never before had they seen or so desperately needed God's mercy like that. And as a result, there was this big question that lingered over the Israelite community, lingered unanswered. Will God still go with us personally to the promised land? I mean, have we forfeited his personal presence or is he going to go with us? Moses wanted an answer. So he says in verse 12, you've said that you're pleased with me, great, but you haven't yet said anything about whether you're coming with us. It was a big deal last week when not the vice president or another official, but the president himself flew to Poland despite the wartime risks and dangers in order for him to meet with other officials in Europe. His personal presence revealed his priorities and his personal commitment, didn't it? See, Moses is asking God, are you coming to the promised land with us? You, not a deputy, not an angel, not the vice president, you, personally, because Moses wants God. And God answers in verse 14, yes, my presence will go with you. Fantastic. No, but Moses wants more. So he keeps pressing. You can't see it in our English translations, but that you in verse 14 was singular in number. And now the grammar nerds are getting excited, right? So at that point, God is referring to Moses individually. My presence will go with you, Moses. And Moses says, in effect, that's not enough. That's not enough. If your presence does not go with us, all of us, your people do not send us up 
from here because Moses wants more of God. So God finally replies, okay, I'll do the very thing that you've asked. I'm going with you, all of you. Fantastic. No. Does Moses rest content? No, he wants more. He still wants more. So he passionately and boldly responds, now show me your glory. What's that all about? I had a friend in high school named Kevin. Kevin was just like the rest of us, a, an ordinary kid, a jokester, a goofy friend. We did all kinds of things together, playing soccer and playing, joking around. But Kevin was also a nationally acclaimed, award-winning classical guitarist. And we all knew this, but we had actually never seen that part of him. Uh, you might say we had never seen the fullness of his glory. And so sometimes we'd cajole him saying, oh, come on, Kevin, don't hold back. You know, just show us a little glimpse of what you can really do. Uh, just a few notes until finally one day we went to one of his recitals. And the first thing that we noticed was just how serious his face was. I mean, this was a different side to Kevin that we had never seen. The seriousness with which he approached his musical craft. And then he started. And we were just spellbound. Not just by the excellence of his skill, again, unparalleled among anyone that we knew. We'd never heard a guitar played like that before. We were spellbound by this side of this friend that we had known for years that we had never yet seen until that very moment. I'd never seen the glory, can we put it in those terms, of my friend Kevin's skill and musicianship like I did that day. It was like I saw a whole nother side to him that I had never seen. You see, when Moses finally erupts, show me your glory, he's saying, I'm getting glimpses here and there of you, God, but I want more of your face. I, I, I want to see more of your beauty, more of your favor, more of the unfolding of your character. I want to know more of that part of you that knows me by name, that shows me favor. I want more of your presence, more of you, God. I want all of you. Show me your glory. See, Moses wants God more and more of God. Do you? It occurs to me, even in my own life, as I examine myself honestly, how easy it is to move through religious ritual and commitment without actually turning and facing God and wanting Him for Himself. To simply want to sit in his presence, not simply to get things from him, but to get him as the prize. Moses wants more and more of God, do you? This is such a profoundly simple but important question because it's so 
very possible to appear like we are pursuing God when it's not actually God that we want, but only the things that he can give us. You know, it's, it's possible to, to kind of do things in the space of church and even in prayer because we want psychological relief or because we want a project to go well or a less guilty conscience or just a less exhausting life or maybe it's a more pristine self-image. Those things aren't wrong to want, to seek, to pray for, but is it all that we're actually after? It's possible to want all these things, these blessings, these benefits, these spiritual goods, and not really want God for himself. You can want to get out of Egypt and not really want to get in with God. I mean, really, if we approach any other human relationship in the way that we often approach God, we would label that person a narcissist, and maybe that is what we are. But here's something we discover in Moses that's just stunningly different. Verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. I mean, do you hear what Moses is saying? It would be better to be permanently wandering in a barren desert with God than to go to a promised land flowing with milk and honey without God. What do you really want? What are you really seeking? See, Moses' heart is one that we can pray that God gives us. Dear God, provide, please provide for me a job, but, but I'd, I'd in fact rather be jobless with you than even get my dream job without you. Dear God, please, please stop this pain in, in my body, in my heart. Please make it end. But if you're somehow using this for good in my life, I, I want you to know I'd rather ache with you than to be pain-free without you because I want you. Recently, I was struck by a conversation that I had with one of our members who's struggling, family member struggling with an illness, a, a chronic condition. And when I asked what I could pray for, this person replied, well, well we would like healing, of course. But if God would get greater glory in our perseverance and our sanctification growing in our faith, then we pray for grace to accept that too. Who prays like that, right? Who wants God that bad? Because the translation to that is what? We want God even more than we want healing. Show us your glory. Show me all of you 
It's you that I want. That's a worthy prayer, isn't it? In this decision that I have to make, yes, give me wisdom, but most of all, show me your glory. In, in this struggle, yes, give me comfort, but most of all, show me your glory. In, in our budget, provide for our needs, but most of all, show us your glory, the radiance of your character, the power of your presence, the abundance of your provision, the weightiness of your holiness, the splendor of your love. We want to see all of you, God. Show us your glory. This was Moses's cry. Is it ours too? It's what Moses wanted, but what did Moses finally get? Our final point, what Moses gets. What did Moses get? God. I mean, were you looking for a better climax? Moses gets God. See, amazingly, God responds to Moses' incredible request, show me your glory. I mean, remember, God is always eager to show himself to us. And then he responds with a sort of a yes and no answer. He says in verse 19, okay, here's what I can do for you. I will cause all my goodness, okay, not my glory, but all my goodness to pass in front of you, all that's bright and lovely and beneficial in my character, my goodness, but you cannot see my face, God said, for no one may see me and live. In other words, sinners, even sinners like you whom I love would be crushed by my holiness, my anger against sin, my judgment, my punishment, so I'll show you my goodness, but I can't right now show you all of me or you'll die. I mean, what do we expect? Uh, can we even stare directly at the sun? No. Our eyes will burn up. Even during an eclipse, we can at best get an indirect and a momentary glimpse of the sun. How much more so with the blazing glory of God. And what happens next is one of the most incredible moments in the entire Old Testament. God tells Moses to get up early the next morning and chisel out two new stone tablets. Remember, if you were with us, the first pair of tablets was broken into pieces. That was Moses dramatizing Israel's spiritual adultery, like ripping up their marriage certificate with God. But check this out. God displays his relentless love. He's about to remarry his adulterous people. He's writing a new marriage certificate. He's in it to win it. He's in it to the end. Who here today needs grace from God like that? Then God tells Moses in verse 21 to stand before him on a rock. And check out here all the layers of protection that God offers Moses. Uh, when my glory passes by, God says, first, I will put you in the cleft in the rock. That's a crack or a crevice in the rock, right? So the stone is going to kind of keep you safe. Then secondly, I will cover you with my hand, shield you. And then I'm not going to linger for too long. I might fry you, so I'm just going to pass on by. And then fourth, 
I'll remove my hand and you'll get to see me and it'll be amazing, but it's only going to be my back, the afterglow that you're going to get to see. Then God came down and hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed in front of him and proclaimed aloud who he was and still is, the Lord, the great I am, self-existent and eternal, a compassionate God. He suffers with us, a gracious God, always giving us better than we deserve, slow to anger, always patient and forbearing, abounding in love, his loyal covenant love, and he's overflowing in faithfulness, has never yet broken a single promise to you and me yet. But he's also just. He cannot ignore our guilt. He must punish our sin. And when Moses saw and heard all of this, he did the only thing one can do. He bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Moses actually didn't get all that he had asked for. But it was as much as any person could handle. But here's what we have to notice. What he got was a deeper and wider view of the fullness of God's face, his presence, his glory, than any other human being had ever gotten up to that point. And then here's what we need to grapple with too. We receive in Christ a thousand times more than what Moses ever got of God. As we hear in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. As the Apostle Paul elaborates, we have found in Christ, in the face of Jesus, the very glory of God. And Moses was protected by God, wasn't he, by a, a multi-layered protective fortress to shield Moses for a moment from the holiness of God. And yet what we have in Christ is protection for all of eternity. From the judgment and the wrath and the holiness of God, this is what the cross of Christ granted us. If you stand on the cross where God poured out his punishment upon Jesus in our place instead of us so that we would get nothing but his goodness, all his blessings, all his love, all his kindness, all his beneficence, nothing but his love, but only because Jesus absorbed, satisfied the justice of a God who cannot let the guilty go unpunished. Guess what? You stand on the cross. You are safe. Forever, safe from the justice and glory of God, safe to receive his goodness, his blessing, safe 
to walk nearer than your minds can possibly imagine that you could be near to God and nearer still as you long and pray to have more and more of God, a prayer he does answer. He'll give you more of himself if you ask him for more of himself, more of God and more of his glory, nearer than you can dare imagine until one day scripture promises us you're going to get all of him. Don't you know, 1 John 3 promises us, when Christ appears, we shall see him as he is. And Revelation 22.4 tells us that in the new heavens and new earth, in heaven now and in glory one day, for all of eternity, God's servants will serve him and they will see his face. You want to see God? You're gonna. We're all going to in Christ. You will see his unmasked face, his countenance, his unfettered glory. Show me your glory is a prayer that will be answered now in part, one day in full. See, Moses had God, and he wanted more of God, and he got God. And the mystery of the gospel is that you and I get more of God than what Moses ever received in this life. God gave Moses, one man, a momentary, partial glimpse of what he would one day give all of us in full for all of eternity in Christ. Do you know the God who gives all of himself to you? God's offering all of himself if you want him, if you'll take him. Which leaves us then with one important question today. What do you really want? Let's pray. Oh, by your spirit, we do say, we want you. Show us your glory, oh God. You've given us a glimpse. Show us more. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.